Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they show it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted. By Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? Happy Wednesday night. It is another Wednesday episode of Shout, a Buffalo football podcast brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more. I had the reads open here at the beginning, Ryan, but you know me. I'm always dropping the ball. I'm a little bit thrown off, actually, because I was in our Twitter spaces last night before you, and I told the story yesterday. Every time we do one of these episodes, I get into the waiting room, and there is your... uh, beautiful smile that greets me. I was, you were five minutes late yesterday. You have some explaining to do, but we'll get into that in a second. Whether you're celebrating at home or away, Tops has all your fan favorites ready to enjoy for football, entertaining, or any occasion. And I know Bills fans are hoping there's a reason to party this weekend when the Bills take on the New York Jets. We're going to get more into that on Friday, but you know, you know, what do you have to say for yourself? Well, you know, I was watching the Bonnies season opener against uh, Siena. Nice second half for the Bonnies. They they played a little tight in the first half. So I, I was a little late, though, definitely for the, the Twitter spaces last night. But it was a good time. And I was happy to join in when I when I got in there. Speaking of egregious, you came pretty armed on social media this afternoon, mm-hmm. which kind of was a bit alarming for me. Why don't you t- why don't you take people into that? What, what yeah, abs- absolutely. I saw a great tweet by someone today uh, calling out red delicious apples as absolute garbage. And, and for those of you that don't know, Matt Perino is a red delicious fan. And not only that, you know, I think we've all seen how he cuts his sandwiches. In my 37 years of life, Matt Perino is the first person I've ever seen that bought an apple at a 7-Eleven. I thought those were just there for decorations <laughs> or, or or it's like something where they're like, whoever buys these things from 7-Eleven, like put them on like a, a serial killer type list because who goes and buys fresh produce from 7-Eleven? Matt Perino, that's who. And Matt, do you see that over my shoulder right now? Uh, is that an apple? That's not just any apple, Matt. <laughs> that is a Honeycrisp apple. The greatest Did you go to the store specifically apple- to buy that? I always have Honeycrisp apples in this household. Always. You know something funny? 
I, I feel a little bit, okay, first of all, there's a lot to unpack there. First and foremost, we were traveling, right? Was that in Detroit? Yeah, when on we our way back that? from uh, okay. Detroit. You know, we had gone out you, when you're eating, when you're on the road, you're eating fast food. It's a little bit uh, disconcerting as you start to look at the calorie count. And we stopped in the 7-Eleven. I was like, listen, what can I get in here? I, my usually go to is like a kind bar or something like that. But I don't I think they were sold out. So I said, wow, this is some fresh apples. Let's go. I'm going to grab an apple. I'm going to grab a banana. I'm going to feel great, nutritious. I'm going to feel healthy. And we started driving and that apple was 100 percent a home run slam dunk. And guess why it was, it was a red delicious apple. And that is why, for, but I, okay. Time out. I also have to say, I've never actually eaten a honey crisp apple. So I don't have all the information to You've, really, wait. Um, what? Yeah. I've never, had never a honey crisp apple. No, I oh will my, say this. Your taste I will say this alive. Okay. I will say this granny Smith trash. Okay. Throw those away. I, I'm not a fan of the granny Smith apples way too like sour. Like I'm not into it. Uh, okay, let's dial real this quick back here. Well, real quick, when I mentioned okay. it that you love Red Delicious tonight to my wife, she's like, "Has he ever had any other kind of apple?" I agree. Wow. They're mealy. They're terrible. There's the delicious is false advertising. It's false advertising. Okay, we're gonna have to agree to disagree here because uh, Red Delicious are. Um, everything that I'm looking for in an apple and they've delivered for 39 years of life for me. And so, uh, you can just, uh, you know, stick with your honey crisp. All right. Welcome to the Buffalo bills, a football podcast. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about the bills today. The bills got back in the building today. And I was interested to see when we got to the facility, what the vibe was going to be like around this team, because, you know, it's funny. we, Sean McDermott, Josh Allen, we talked to Jordan Poyer and Stefan Diggs today about what this loss was like in terms of dealing with it for 24, 48 hours after the fact. Because sitting here on social media, we did the Twitter spaces last night, taking the temperature of Bill's Mafia. I mean, this was a, you know, code red. I mean, this was a panic button. Where is it? I'm really contemplating slamming that thing down because you lose to the one in six Jaguars and it's. It's troubling. A lot of things about that game were troubling. And, you know, Josh Allen, Jordan Poyer, they wanted no part of talking about that game. They want, they said, page has been turned. We've dealt with that already. It's on to next week. And I think from a fan perspective, you want to see that. But I think Stefan Diggs kind of gave us a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, a glimpse into the pain of that loss. I mean, he's a, he's a guy that says, I don't ever want to lose. Anytime that I play, I don't want to lose. So just imagine for a guy that is used to having a lot of success in this offense, it it hasn't been so easy going for him this season. We talked about the target share. We'll get into that a little bit as well. But we're going to talk about a lot of that tonight. But I, I want to start with the run game, and we'll get into that in a second. Let, let me have you uh, respond to everything I just opened up with. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you didn't quite go to this yet, but I thought like Sean McDermott went into full dad mode. Like I was I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed today. The way he talked about things um, not being where that he expected them to be at. And we'll we'll dive more into that in a minute. But listen, I, I get why you'd want to turn the page on that loss from Sunday. It's it's a bad loss. And in, in the pro game, in any sport, you you do have to have that. uh that mentality though, where, okay, that's a bad loss, but we got to put it behind us because we have another game coming up and it's another game against an opponent where a lot of people are expecting the bills to win and win handily, but we saw how that went last week. So this needs to be one of those weeks where the bills respond 
Uh, and I think they need to respond in an impressive fashion. I get a win's a win, but I don't think fans are going to be happy if the Bills struggle and, and grind out a 17-14 win or something like that. They want to see the Bills humiliate the Jets on Sunday. And the one thing that I would say I disagree with, and I don't disagree with the approach that the Bills are taking. You know, every week is its own week. No game is bigger than any other one. It's it's kind of what they were preaching during the Kansas City week. I get that. But there are games that are, are you know, or results, I should say, that are bigger. You know, that 34-31 loss to the Tennessee Titans looks a lot different right now than a 9-6 loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars. There's more reasons to have concern about this team after that, after that game. And, you know, a team that was pretty consensus-wise figured to be either the top team in the AFC before that game or the second best team in the AFC uh, before that game, those opinions, you know, they started to take a hit. I saw so much smoke about the New England Patriots being a factor in the AFC East now. I mean, three weeks ago, Ryan, even after that Tennessee game, were you thinking even in the slightest that there would be that we would reach a point in the season where the New England Patriots would be a real threat to the Bills considering the schedule that they have? I I thought that those two games were going to be competitive. I, I picked the Patriots to win one of them in the preseason or in the uh, right before the season season uh, prediction article that we put out. But I didn't think that this division was ever going to be contested from a Bills perspective. And for a lot of people nationally, those that's a, that's changing. We can get into how be, the validity of that. We're going to talk about the Patriots later in the show. But th- I think that looking at this loss now with 48 hours, there should be real. I don't want to say concerns, not the word that I'm looking for. There should be real attention in that Bill's locker room. I, th- I got the sense that there, there is, and there has been, but this was the, one of those losses where I think it makes everybody kind of perk up and say, some things have to change. And we're going to start it with it. The running game is probably the first thing. Yeah. And you know, to answer your question, I no, I did not think the Patriots were a threat to the bills in the AFC East. I, I thought maybe a wild card contender and listen to their credit. They, they've bounced back from a one and three start. They're playing a better brand of football. The offense has been okay. The defense has been great. They, you know, Matthew Judon has been worth every penny for that defense. They're uh, creating turnovers. They're, they're doing their job. Uh, in that regard, and I think they can give the Bills some challenges with that defense. But at the same time, I still sit here, and as bad as that loss was to Jacksonville, I still don't take New England at this moment seriously as a threat in the AFC East. Uh, like I said, can they get to 10 wins? Can they can they get a wild card spot? Yeah, I think they can this year just because that defense is so strong. It reminds me a little bit of that uh, 2019 Bills team where Josh Allen didn't have to be great that season because the defense was was pretty good. Um, But I still don't see them as a threat right now. But, you know, I I do think getting into the run game, getting into some of the things that were discussed today, that's probably where we need to get started here tonight. Yeah, I thought that, you know, you mentioned Sean McDermott and the tone of that press conference today. It was different than any one that we've had you know, in a long time. And this is, you know, a a coach that for the most part, he gets his guys. It's something that I've praised him about since I got here. He gets his guys up to play. And the energy level, the lack thereof in that game uh, on Sunday was concerning. And and you start to ask questions about, you know, the, the, you know, I know it's no pun intended, the process of this all. What's the process of, you know, believing in the players that you have on the roster 
while also being able to remove yourself from that confidence and properly evaluate what you have. And, you know, we'll see how this week kind of plays out. One of the big problems in the run game for me has been two things. Number one, over the last four games, I don't think Zach Moss has run the ball as effectively as he did in the first half of the season. First, first half of the first half, I should say. And so that's been a problem for me. But more than anything, I think that this offensive line is just not winning at the point of attack. And Sean McDermott went into detail today about where, you know, kind of let us in, in terms, he doesn't want to get too much into strategy. And I, and I get that to a degree, but you know, he was asked about Matt Breida at the end of the, of the press conference. Is there been any thought or conversation about maybe giving him a chance, changing things up? And he said, listen, that's already, that's a conversation that's already happened. Zach Moss is on, is in concussion protocol, his outlook for Sunday already a little bit murky. So you're probably going to see something different. We can get into, you know, maybe changing the pieces around is Matt Breida, the right guy. We'll get into that. But the big takeaway for me today from, for Sean McDermott is two things. Number one, promising the fan base that adjustments are being made, because I think that was one of the big concerns that came out of that game was, did you make adjustments? Are you willing to make adjust adjustments and change who you are? Um, and, and he also said that, that I thought that was pretty self-aware. He said, I thought we'd be further along in the run game than we are. I thought that we would have progressed in that area. It is something that we need to do and do better if we want to be the team that we're trying to become. So I thought, you know, some, some, some eye popping quotes today from Sean McDermott. Yeah, I agree completely. And if, if you didn't join our Twitter spaces last night, we talked about a wide variety of topics, but we, we talked a little bit about the offensive line and uh, Bobby Johnson is a seat a little bit warm based on the lack of development that we've seen maybe in the offensive line play. The fact that they let, you know, they traded away Wyatt Teller, they, they cut ties with Quentin Spain, both guys obviously thriving, playing very well elsewhere. And we're, we're seeing guys that have been brought in kind of stall out. Cody Ford never really developed. John Feliciano is what he is. Um, you, you know, you've seen Deion Dawkins maybe take that progression to where he started to where he is now. But for the most part, we haven't seen those answers. But after today, I think you could also make an argument that Kelly Skipper, maybe you can say his seat's a little bit warm. He's the Bills running backs uh, coach. And Zach Moss, like you said, I thought when he finally, you know, first game he's inactive, he comes back. I thought he ran the ball really well in, in week two, week three. Um, showed some, you know, broke some tackles, showed a little bit of burst, this, that, and the other. Since then, it's not been there. He's been averaging, you know, well below that four yard per average uh carry somewhere in the three yard range where Singletary has been running better than him. And now that he's out, the bills do have to go to the drawing board. And I've had a lot of fans um, either send me a tweet or even, you know, some that I follow, send me DMS and ask, well, what about Antonio Williams? Maybe does he get a shot? I, I think they're more likely to go Matt Breida this week, just because he's on the 53 man roster already. He's only had that one opportunity in week one. And mind you, it did not go well by any stretch of the imagination. But that is such a small sample size. That was such a bad game based on the offensive line. Again, getting blown up by Pittsburgh's defensive line. So I'd like to see what he could do in, in a matchup where maybe his speed could be an asset uh, against a Jets defense that can sometimes get a little over aggressive um, and, and see what he can do. But I think the Bills are, are getting to that point where they're ready to send a mess. They've already sent messages to players by making them inactive in certain games and things like that. It wouldn't shock me if in the near future, 
we we do see Antonio Williams and we do see Matt Breed and, and they kind of put Moss and Singletary on notice. I wouldn't be shocked if they um, gave some different offensive linemen an opportunity to play left guard. Hypothetically, let's say Spencer Brown comes back, then you kick Daryl Williams inside, and then you're only worried about that left guard spot. I rewatched that game, Matt, and like uh, Butker was just as bad as Cody Ford. He was getting mm-hmm. pushed back time after time after time and it's concerning so i think shakeups need to happen at multiple positions as wake-up calls as let's see what some other guys can do as well um this is a really good question that pops up here in the chat from sean Hare. it's actually something that i was on youtube i was thinking about this afternoon during some of these conversations and you know maybe we'll get a chance to talk to devin singletary about this this week and i'd like to pose this question to him but look at devin singletary's production from this season in his game log if you go over to pro football reference the first four games of the season he was averaging 6.5 in his first game 6.3 in his second game 2.36 so that was a bad game against washington in his third game uh 5.64 in his fourth game against the houston texans all those games uh over 10 carries per game the last four under seven carries games he hasn't had more than seven carries in a game since the beginning of October. And one of the things I keep coming back to is I think what we've established at this point or what we've learned at this point is that the approach that the bills took by using a third round draft pick one year after they drafted Singletary in the third round, I get wanting to give yourselves options at the position, but with the, their ability to find guys that could come in as you know street free agents and undrafted rookies. I mean, we saw what Antonio Williams did last year. I really think that that was a a bit of a wasted draft pick. And that's not an indictment of Zach Moss. I like him as a player. There's things that I've liked about him, but you're not going to hand the job over to Zach Moss with how clearly you still, how much you still believe in Devin Singletary. But the problem is if you're, if you're going back and forth, I, I, I believe in this and I've never gotten, you know, Devin Singletary to admit it, Devin Singletary to admit it. And I just had a story idea. Maybe I should talk to a bunch of, you know, running backs, former running backs, current running backs, like what, what is it like when you feel when you when you get 10 carries or more in, in 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 a couple games and then you start that carry count goes down how does that feel for you maybe we should have carlos williams get on the sh- get on the show and talk to us about what that means but i think for me if you're looking for the problems in terms of the running game and Devin Singletary specifically, it's a lack of touches and a lack of ability to get momentum into the game and i think that could be changing that's one takeaway I had from that press conference today. I get the sense that Sean McDermott maybe wants to try to run the ball a little bit more, especially this week against an opponent like the Jets. Yeah, and you're right. Maybe this is the week that Singletary gets 15 to 18 carries, and Breida's maybe brought in on third downs. So he gets a few carries there. He's the more maybe of a receiving option for the team. Uh, but it doesn't hurt the Bills maybe to to see how it would be with one bat getting the majority of the reps rather than these splits that we've been seeing or the the seven carries to four carries and then Josh Allen getting five for 50. They it can't get any worse. I guess is the best way of putting it with this run game. Give Singletary a shot this weekend uh, against the Jets. Let him be the main ball carrier in that game. Get creative with the blocking scheme. Get Reggie Gilliam in there to be the lead blocker. Bring in the extra offensive lineman. 
Um, I know he doesn't necessarily have the, the speed where you want to get him outside on tosses or anything like that, but try to do something that maybe gets him a little bit of open space because maybe he doesn't have that speed, but he has elusiveness where he can make you miss with that open, uh, the open field areas too. So th- there's a lot that they can try to do. And I think with Zach Moss being in the concussion protocol uh, the fact that it, I don't think he, it looks great in terms of his odds of maybe playing this week, this could be a great week to kind of give that theory of how, you know, how effective would Devin Singletary be if he ends up getting 15 to 18 carries in a game where, and I know some Bills fans would be like, well, we want, we don't want to get too much away from the passing game. But at the same time, I think a lot of teams are pinning their ears back right now because the Bills have become so one dimensional. Yeah. And you know, I almost wonder last week if there should have been a little bit more forward thinking from Brian Dable and Sean McDermott when it came to game planning for that game. You're bringing back Cody Ford, who struggled with his confidence, and you end up throwing the ball, what was it, 47 times in that game for Josh Allen? It was something he's he's now gone four straight games, I believe, with throwing 40 or more passes. And, you know, all we heard about Cody Ford when they drafted him is, you know, he's a road grader. He's going to get out in the in the run game. He's he's big, but he's got athleticism. He's got a little speed, and he's gonna he's gonna make people pay in the run game. And we haven't seen it, and that was a perfect op- opportunity to unleash him a little bit in that department. And I don't know if it comes down to, you know, his play style where he might be at an optimum produ- optimum production level. It doesn't really mesh with maybe Mitch Morse to his left or Daryl Williams to his right. How they want to play, I. I don't know those things and we don't get a chance to talk to Bobby Johnson every week. Some, some teams around the league make their assistance available every week. And I think that probably gives you a little bit more um, insight into the, the nuances of the X's and O's of it. And the, you know, the way that they approach uh, scheme wise, Uh, but that might also be why Sean McDermott doesn't want them to be available is because he (laughs) likes to keep everything really close to the chest. I respect that too, to a degree. Um, but this is a situation now where we're in a very strange time because it's like we're we're suggesting that the Bills might want to try to – I think we are. I, I think I am. I don't really know where I'm at because I'm so uncomfortable knowing with where this offense was in 2020, what we saw, what we – the blueprint that they established for what this offense could be to completely shift gears and start to try to become this grind it, run – I don't want to say run first, but run heavier offense. I've never thought that that was the plan. It's just got to be about finding a way to be more effective when you run the ball. And maybe some of those design runs, you eliminate them and you you find creative ways to get that, the ball in Devin singles, Singletary's hands in space. I, I don't know what the actual answer is there, but I, I'm a little bit curious as to if they do go to a more run heavy approach, if that makes sense long-term or if it's just something you try to do to jumpstart this run game. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. And maybe I'm reading too too much into the uh, videos that I saw floating around from today's practice, but I I like seeing Josh Allen under center a little bit. I liked seeing the play action pass in the videos. If he's under center and, and Devin Singletary does start running the ball well, then the Jets are going to have to account for for Singletary, and then that does open up the play action. Uh, and I know the Bills; you can still use the play action even if your run game is not effective. The Bills did that a lot last year with success. But just imagine how much more things could open up in the passing game if Singletary is getting four yards per clip, four point five yards per clip. Mm-hmm. Defenses then have to adjust. Right now, we have not seen that 
we have not seen teams saying, well, we got to play, uh, you know, someone up a little bit because uh, the Bills running backs running wild on us are, are doing really well. It, it's mostly been uh, maybe a nice carry here and there. You know, he obviously Singletary had a, a huge run early in the season against uh, Miami that he ripped off for like 46 yards, but that's a rarity in this offense. You don't usually see runs like that, but if he can even just have that success of those four to five yard runs with some sort of consistency. I think it really opens up things for the passing game. You get a little bit more balance, but you're still able to be uh, a little more pass heavy than run heavy. And then defenses, they'll have to respect the run game a little bit more. Yeah, I was actually trying to look up um, the advanced stats here from the game over the weekend. And I do think I found it here. Let me see. I want to see how many times he actually ran play action because usually have it i thought on um pro football reference but i'm not seeing it here um i agree i'd like to see them operate a little bit more with play action even when the run game's not going as well i think even last year the stats showed uh for for allen that when he ran play action i think he was one of the most um deadly quarterbacks in the league off play action last season and that's something that at times i don't think that we're seeing enough i know that they like to put him in shotgun and um, this is a, an offense that, you know, when they, when they're right. And when the passing game is, is moving in the right direction, uh, there's not a lot to, you know, critique. And the, the thing about this now, where we stand here after eight games is that the power balance of the team has shifted considerably in eight games. You know, they, they entered the season, I think with most people still believing that the, the offense was going to be the unit that carried this team. And so far it's been the defense outside of one game the Tennessee game where I thought the offense played a really excellent game. They scored 31 points. They probably scored 38, nine out of 10 times if Josh Allen doesn't slip. And it was just a defense defensive performance. That wasn't really what it's been for the most of the other games. Um, but now, you know, the, it's a bit of an identity crisis here. And it's like, when is it's, it's so funny. Go back to the rookie year of Josh Allen. When is it finally going to be the time for this organization? And maybe it will come. Maybe it will come this season where the talent level and the production level of the defense and the offense is at the same elite high level at the same time. That to me is almost like what I'm watching for the biggest storyline that I'm watching for, for the rest of the season into the playoffs. If the bills reach that, that's to me when they truly become the Super Bowl contender, the like Super Bowl favorite, if you will. I know they were the favorite going into last week, but that's when I'm we haven't seen it yet. And I know that there was a couple of dominant performances, 35, nothing, uh, 40, nothing. Don't get me wrong, but I want to see that no questions about the offense, no questions about the defense, especially against some of these lesser opponents. This is a perfect week for it, Ryan. Mike White is going to be there. There's some tape on this guy now. This is a defense that frustrates young quarterbacks. I know he's a journeyman. I know he's been around a little while, uh, but this is the kind of game where I think you can get that kind of result if both sides of the ball are clicking. Yeah, I agree with that. And listen, if, if you haven't watched a lot of the Bills games, like if you're a national media and you say, well, number one scoring offense, number one scoring defense, you would think that they had been dominant through those first uh, half of the season on both sides of the ball. But it really, you're right. It really hasn't been the case. It, it's been some inconsistencies where maybe the defense gets a few turnovers and puts the Bills offense in prime position or the offense is clicking like in that Tennessee game. Uh, and the defense is struggling. So if that ever does come to fruition where both sides play consistent, 
high level football uh, at the same time, this team can be very scary. And we talked, we've talked about this on, on previous shows. We think that the bills maybe peaked too early last year and it could have cost them come playoff time. Maybe, maybe they're going to peak at the right time this year and come playoff time. That's when we really do see that come to fruition. And obviously that'd be the best time for it to happen. As long as the bills obviously get to the playoffs, which I still fully expect. Don't get me wrong. Um, but yeah, we, we still haven't seen that yet. It's always been one side carrying the other. Last year was obviously the offense uh, carrying the defense for the most part. The, the first uh, year Allen made the playoffs, it was more so defense than offense. You get the gist. So it would be nice to see both sides come together in terms of dominance at the same time for a stretch of games. I'm surprised you haven't been talking any trash. The Bulls down uh... – UB Hoops playing uh, Michigan tonight, number six in the country, getting slapped at halftime, 51-35, 51-36, tough, tough opener. You know, That's you got to you gotta keep your spirits high in the in, in the second half, UB Nation. We'll see how it goes. But um, let's turn the page um, to uh, some updates from today. Uh, before we do, let me remind you that from hot-to-go pizza and appetizers, signature fried chicken, baby back ribs, subs to delicious salads and brownie trays tops has everything you need to feed the hungriest fan get there this week this weekend whenever you can get yourself stocked up um so today at the at, at practice uh, we got kind of the update uh in terms of who practiced who didn't who's hurt who's not so some good news we'll start with the good news dawson knox spencer brown return to practice which is a a really good sign both on a limited basis we'll see how they progress through the week, see if there's any setbacks. The Spencer Brown back thing is something that even with him being back at practice, you're going to probably want to see a, some consistency a couple days in the row before you pull the trigger on that. Uh, I know that they they probably would love to get him back in the mix, move Daryl Williams inside, probably sit forward um, and, and go with Bucker until uh, John Feliciano gets back. I don't know what that will look like. I don't know if that's the that'll be the plan, but it makes sense. I mean, you know, Cody Ford is a guy that, you know, struggled. And Sean McDermott was asked about this on, um, I tweeted about it this morning. He was asked about this on, in our Monday media session. And he said, uh, let me bring up the quote here. When did I tweet that? Was that yesterday morning? I can't keep up with my Twitter, my Twitter, my tweets. Um, it's, there's so much action going on here all the time. So, he had he said that Cody Ford had problems with his techniques versus the Jaguars, which first and foremost, that's kind of eye popping because that's what he said he was going back to the drawing board to address his technique issues. And it still is a problem after a couple of weeks to kind of reset. He said at that position, when you sit directly in front of the quarterback, that's something that gets exposed pretty fast. I know there's plays that he wants back and we need back quite quite honestly. So not a ringing endorsement for Ford. He didn't have a lot of glowing things to say and rightfully so. I mean, he didn't play very well. Uh, but you get Spencer Brown back potentially that can kind of shuffle things up on the the, the deck. I think Dawson Knox was a, a lot bigger miss uh, for this offense than people are are really giving it credence to. I think Josh and Stefan Diggs uh, talked about it today. Stefan Diggs said he's an intricate part of this this Bills offense, and he is. I mean, you know, he's a uh, he can be a get you out of trouble kind of guy for Josh Allen. He's a matchup problem. You know, linebacker struggle to cover him to, with his speed and not having him. You've seen what that's done for those guys around him. I, 
since he's been out. I, I don't even think Emmanuel Sanders has had many impactful moments. He had a couple catches last week, but you know, I think everybody involved misses Dawson Knox. Oh, 100% on Knox. Um, he opens things up for those receivers where uh, I think life becomes a little bit easier for defensive backs and secondaries of opposing teams where you don't have to account for Knox because then obviously you're taking away the deep passing game and, and Stefan Diggs. You mentioned Emmanuel Sanders hasn't been as much of an impact player without Knox on the field. Cole Beasley, you know, he, he had two back-to-back games where he was a big part of the offense, that Tennessee game, the Miami game. Um, but dealing with a little bit of an injury this past game with the ribs wasn't as impactful. So we saw in that Kansas City game how how good Dawson Knox can be, how important he can be for this offense, how he can beat safeties down the field, how he's a mismatch against linebackers, you name it. It would be a it would be huge to get him back. And again, no knock on Tommy Sweeney. It's just a different level of play between the two. And and that's to be expected. Um, when the Bills drafted Knox, they drafted him based on that athletic profile and what he could become. We've seen that this year, and it's it's a mismatch. Uh, in, in terms of Spencer Brown, it's a little scary that this offensive line is so dependent on a third-round offensive tackle. But at the same time, it, it's also... Uh, you know, you have to give a lot of credit to Brown for his play since he's taken over as the starting right tackle. There's been a few moments where he's he's missed some assignments and he plays he'd like to get back. But there's been so many more positives. He, you know, maybe he gets pushed back initially, but then he holds his block and he and he keeps, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Josh Allen upright and gives him more time to scan the field and make those plays. So that's significant. And, and Matt, I had a really good question asked me recently. And I didn't know how to answer it because back injuries are tricky and you just never know on a week-to-week basis. But someone said, if Brown were to miss this game, is that a bad look for the Bills? Because this would be his third game missed where they that would have been an IR opportunity to put him on there for a little bit, um, giving them a little bit more roster flexibility. And I said, well, I don't, I don't know because... Back injuries are different for everyone. Uh, we don't know this. We didn't know the severity of it when it happened. We knew that he wasn't likely to play that first week. Obviously, there was a little optimism about last week, which never came to fruition. Uh, and now this week, I think there's even more. But what if he isn't able to play this week? Is that a bad look for the team that they they maybe missed how long he could be out for? Yes and no. Um, probably more on the no side for me, just because this is something that you got to kind of project a little bit and you don't want to put yourself in a bad situation. And I think for as much as we talk about like evaluations, like when we started with the show, like what you believe your players can do and then honestly evaluating them, which is something Sean's talked about all week, having honest conversations in the building. I, I still think that they know that, you know, at this point, Spencer Brown gives them the better looks because of, you know, the strengths of some of the guys that they can then put on the interior and then some of the guys they can keep out of the lineup. So I, I think it kind of came into play with, with, with John Feliciano too. Like when, when, when he first was injured and Sean was asked about um, getting John Feliciano back or is IR an option? He's like, we're keeping our options open because we want to see if he can get back in two games, we're willing to risk it because of what he means to what we're trying to do and what we've already built. And I also wonder like, what are your options roster wise? If you do put them on IR, you know, you don't have 
really a capable backup tackle out. You already have your backup tackle right now in, in Daryl Williams. You could probably make an argument for Ryan Bates, but all summer long, they didn't really play Ryan Bates at tackle. I know he can do it, but I don't know if he's good at this point. He's your backup center without John Feliciano. So I don't think that they're willing to risk him even coming into the game. I think that's why he's probably not even an option. You'd probably be looking at Jamil Douglas or somebody like that. Uh, they, they brought in the UB kid. I can't even pronounce his name. Every time I try, I mess it up. Shout out to him. My bad. But <laughs> I don't think if you have to elevate him and get him in actual game action, that's where you want to be considering, you know, this is a guy that is very raw player, um, a guy that hasn't played any regular season NFL snaps. And so, you know, I just don't know if the guys are out there. I'm very interested to see. I don't know about you, Ryan, what the tryout list looks like this week for the Bills. Did they bring in running backs? Did they bring in offensive linemen? Um, it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, I agree completely with that. I would love to see, uh, you know, a long list of linemen, just some options, maybe not even 53-man roster options. Maybe they're they're more practice squad guys that they can – um, bring in, get get a look at for a few weeks. And we've seen that in the past where the Bills have that one roster spot on their practice squad that kind of fluctuates on a week-to-week or every other week type basis where someone's in for two weeks, then they're gone and someone else comes in just so they can evaluate and have that constant turnover. I'm all for that. I'm actually putting together a list of offensive linemen that are out there that maybe uh, could help the Bills. A, a lot of veteran names, some that had some significant injuries a year ago, uh, but at this point, they've got to be coming close to getting back. Mostly guard options, just because uh, I don't know how serious seriously the Bills would look at tackle options that could come in and, can, and compete. Because they, they do view Deion Dawkins as a, a cornerstone franchise left tackle. They do want to get Spencer Brown out there at right tackle. And some of these veterans, I don't think, are going to want to come in and be a swing tackle option either. So... Uh, most of the options I'm going to look at are those interior players, but there's some intriguing names out there right now. All right, let's uh, keep this conversation moving because there was an, a big time development at practice today. Tremaine Edmonds is did not practice, suffered a hamstring injury in the Jacksonville game. I think he finished the game. I didn't go back and look at the snap counts to see if I missed it. Um, but this is something that Sean McDermott said that they've been monitoring all week and they're going to continue to do that. He was working off to the side today um, with Zach Moss, who looks like he's you know progressing through the uh, the concussion protocol. It looks like Taron Johnson's a little bit further along. He was in a red non-contact jersey, so I think he's in stage five, uh, if not all out of it. And I don't think he's out of it because I think um, it, they would have uh, put out a, a tweet or something like that. So, you know, Tremaine Edmonds can't play. You know, this is a guy that's been, obviously we've talked about it, very polarizing, but I think he's quietly putting together a pretty dominant season. I think he's been quietly, and I'm, and I say quietly because the splash stats aren't there, right? Like the sacks, the interceptions, the tackles for a loss. There's some sprinkled in there, but he has been so good and you've seen it flash on, on certain plays certain i think matt milano had a big game last week but the thing that worries you now hamstrings are always a, a funny deal because how long is he going to be out for you know you don't want to rush him back we saw matt milano come back um in the tennessee game and i don't think that he looked right in that game uh I, it it looked like he probably could have used another week so you probably figure you don't have tremaine edmonds this week 
My first instinct is to say that Tyrell Dotson gets an opportunity because they really liked him last year, but we also know how much they trust AJ Klein. So I think how they, you know, let this play out and, and who subs in for them. They oftentimes said that, you know, Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds in a lot of ways are interchangeable. Um, but AJ Klein can play middle linebacker. He's, he's, I think played better at that will outside linebacker spot with the bills since he's been here, but a couple options for, for Sean McDermott to consider and Leslie Frazier. Yeah. And it'll be interesting in, in a game against maybe a, a Mike white, an inexperienced uh, NFL quarterback, mind you some, some decent tape from what we've seen this year. They might, they might want to lean toward Klein because of, of the fact that they trust him to do his, his job and his role. Um, but, it, but white and the jets could also try to create mismatches and, and listen, you, you know, you mentioned it with Tremaine Edmonds. Um, he's a very polarizing player. I had someone early in that Jacksonville game say, Oh, look at him in, in coverage on that opening uh, fourth down play. I said that had a lot more to do with Jacksonville doing a brilliant job of getting Agnew in one-on-one with Edmonds. Agnew being their dynamic return man, uh, good speed, someone that that was just a mismatch. I, as good as Edmonds is in terms of his athleticism, that was just a mismatch. That's, that happens sometimes. He has made splash plays. Uh, he had an opportunity. There was a low ball that I thought maybe if he had made a different read on it, could have been intercepted in that game. But I think he's he's had more highs than lows this year by far. But if he's out, you're you're right. They have some internal options that they like. Dodson brings a little more athleticism to the picture. But I think Klein could one be used as a blitzer uh, a little bit differently. You know, used differently than you would use. Um, and, and Edmonds, but he's also someone that you trust in, in run support, someone that you don't necessarily want him out there in coverage a lot um, because he can fall a step or two behind, but he's at least a reliable backup and someone that's going to, you know, perform the X's and the O's quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your opinion on, I just had it up here. I was just looking at it. What did I? Just had it up. What, what was I doing? I think I just fell into like a little, uh, little, little dream state there for a second. I had, <laughs> I had my next, I had my next topic that I wanted to get into, and then I just uh, blanked for a second. I think we'll bring in uh, Sarah Holland at this point. She's been paying attention to the chat as always. And by the way, if you're watching on YouTube, thank you. Hit that like button. Subscribe as well. We're gonna close out this show here in the next few minutes. Don't forget. Jets preview show Friday. Uh, we got to figure out a time, but uh, keep uh, keep che- keep checking the YouTube channel. We'll post it in there, and you'll get a notification when we go live. Good evening, Sarah Holland. How are you? Good. How are you guys? Good. You're wonderful. What do you got for us? So I saw some uh, frustration from the fans a little bit earlier in the chat um, about the frustration. With the lack of play, obviously from Boogie Basham, and then I got a question from Harold Fuller who asked. Um, what offensive lineman could the Bills have drafted um, instead of uh, drafting Boogie? I, I think the most popular name I've seen on social media is Creed Humphrey. And let me let me say first and foremost, Creed Humphrey is playing very well right now with Kansas City. But he would not be playing center for the Buffalo Bills right now if the Bills had drafted him. They like Mitch Morris. They trust Mitch Morris. Mitch Morris has by far been their best offensive lineman this year. Um, so could Humphrey have played guard for a year or two, and then maybe when they move on from Morris, kicked inside to center? 100%. 
but you can't look at what one player is doing on one team and necessarily feel like they're going to be able to do the same thing in, in Buffalo. It goes back to Wyatt Teller. I think Wyatt Teller uh, has done a great job in Cleveland, but it doesn't hurt that he has some great talent around him on that offensive line, first and foremost. And it doesn't hurt that he has one of the best offensive line coaches in NF in the NFL and Bill Callahan developing him, bringing him along. Every situation, every scenario is different. It's it's really easy months after the fact to look back at these decisions and say, well, what are they doing here? But if Boogie Basham is your starting defensive end next year or 2023 and he plays at a high level, those conversations are going to go, you know, it's going to they're going to go away pretty quickly at that point in time. They have two aging defensive ends. They were addressing the position at the time. They know that a rotation is really important. I get how you look at the line now and you're upset, but you can't use hindsight in these situations to be like, Oh, we'd be much better off with Creed Humphrey or this player. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, there was, you go down the list. I mean, uh, Wyatt Davis is a guy that went uh, a few, uh, after Creed Humphrey and, um, who did green Bay draft? Did you say it? Uh, Trey, um, let me look this up. I just had the, the draft order here. I was a big, uh, Meaners, I or main. I don't know. How you oh, say Quinn Miners. Yeah, Tra- I like him. Miners. Yeah, that's Denver, though. Uh, okay. There was a few guys. There was a few interior offensive linemen that went like in that second to third round range, and you know, it, it, it is something that I think maybe could have been a consideration. But the, the thing with me that I keep going back to is the process of the pick. Right. I get following your board and that's been pretty successful for Brandon Bean. So I guess who am I to, to, to say anything otherwise? But what I think the Boogie Basham pick was a little bit ill conceived because of what the Bills did already. You had restructured Mario Addison's deal and you were you were planning on bringing him back. So that's number one. So you have Mario Addison, you have Jerry Hughes. And I think at that point, you have to know whether or not, you know, they, the percentage of them making the team, if it never seemed like they wavered off of that front, like they were going to seemingly make that team once that, that restructure was done for Addison. So you have two starters right there. Then you take Gregory Rousseau, you signed Effie Obata in, in, um, free agency you already had Darrell Williams on the roster you had Mike Love a guy that you've been developing over the years that you've liked at certain times he was coming back so I think that going with Boogie sometimes it's great to follow your board and get the value but I think sometimes you have to consider roster construction and the numbers game and saying yeah let's let's create some competition at a position right but what happens when you create all that competition and you're still left with what looks like a pretty much the same unit as they had a year ago right no and i I get where you're coming from you had to let daryl johnson go because of this as well we've seen boogie basham and fa obata inactive despite both being additions this off season um and you know you're almost saying there's too much competition but at the same time, you're one injury away. Um, so I get the discussion. I understand the discussion. I understand the frustration with the offensive line play. I 100% do. Uh, I, I'm just never been a fan personally of looking back and saying, well, we could have had this guy. Um, you know, because then every team could be like, well, we could have had Tom Brady multiple times because he went in the sixth round. It, it, it's always easy to look back, I guess, right. and say it, it would be nice if we would they would have done this over that. 
I also am kind of sneaky out on this whole defensive end, defensive tackle hybrid stuff. I see Matt Ward mentioning it in the uh, comments. Boogie is a hybrid. He could play DE defensive tackle. He should get more playing time over Harrison Phillips. I get the, I get the concept of it. And it's, and, and, and for a guy like Greg Rousseau, eventually because of his size, I get how it could be impactful, but they don't really use those guys. Like, I feel like there's been those players. I mean, Quentin Jefferson was supposed to be that guy, and he ended up being on the lower end of the snap count. It didn't work. It didn't seem like a fit. So if that guy didn't work, and he's had some good, good, some good games for the Raiders this year, I don't know if that's the the model of player that you want to continue to bring in here and get looks at. Like I had high expectations for Effie Obata. He's had a couple opportunities to play and has been mostly invisible when he's been on the field. Boogie Basham, he's gotten a couple chances to play. It hasn't gone well. And like to your point, it's wait and see on him. We won't we won't know what Boogie Basham is for a few years. He needs a he needs a full offseason. He needs a full training camp. He needs to get reps. I mean, I doubt that both Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison are back next year. We'll see. But I think that if you're taking issue with the draft pick of Boogie Basham, considering some of the other issues that the Bills are facing offensively right now with the moves that they had already made at the position, most notably Greg Rousseau, 30 picks before that, I get it. All right, Sarah, what else we got? So I looked on Twitter today and I saw the um, latest news about the OBJ uh, situation in that the I think it was the chief the Chiefs Packers and Saints were all teams that you could possibly see him on within the next couple of days and so I wanted to see where you guys think he's going to go and when you think it's going to happen. Matt, go ahead. So the latest I had seen a report um, was that the Packers had entered or the Patriots had entered the chat. And they were they were um, ramping up to, to make one big final push. Mac Jones was asked about it at his press conference, and I kind of wanted to you know dive into that a little bit and what potentially Odell could would look like on the Packer or on the Patriots. Uh, the Packers uh, uh, reportedly had offered him a preliminary minimum deal, so basically they're. More so than the the contract or the money, they're offering him Aaron Rodgers and Devon, uh, Devontae Adams, like playing alongside him. So the Chiefs are are also involved. I think that that's very intriguing. If I was Odell Beckham Jr., that's where I would go because we saw that, you know, I, I think he's just a better version of Sammy Watkins, and Sammy Watkins thrived in that offense. And so when he's healthy, when Odell's healthy, same thing for Sammy, who barely ever is. But I think Odell is a perfect fit in that offense. To me, the questions at quarterback for the Saints kind of take them out of the mix for me. I think the Patriots are probably interesting as well, but does Odell Beckham Jr. have any reservations about, you know, being a receiver in New England and with, you know, meshing with Bill Belichick? We've seen some of those relationships in recent years not go well and receivers that leave there talk poorly about him. Everything that just happened with Cam Newton, um, just, and I bring up Cam Newton, just a, a high profile free agent that came in and it just didn't work out. It was kind of an ugly exit and, you know, Brandon cooks, I think was there. And I don't think he was super complimentary of his time there either. And he's had some su- success and some stops since then. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I would put New Orleans at the very bottom of the list. I joked when I first saw that list of three. I said, yeah, you know, a wide receiver getting to choose from Patrick Mahomes or Trevor Simeon or Aaron Rodgers. Every, you know, it's every wide receiver's dream. Simeon doesn't belong. Taysom Hill, whoever whoever you go with, 
that's not an ideal situation for Odell Beckham Jr. So unless they're throwing money at him and the Saints always find ways to, to find money, uh, always money in the banana stand, as Arrested Development used to say uh, on that show. But I, I would eliminate them. I, I think the Patriots, are, you know, they might make that push. I don't see that as a great fit either. Uh, I saw the Seahawks might be making a push as well. And that'd be somewhat intriguing with a, a trio where you have, um, you know, Metcalf and Locke, and then you have Beckham Jr. And obviously Russell Wilson's coming back uh, this weekend. So maybe they're uh, a dark horse contender, but I would actually go with the Packers over KC. We've already seen that Green Bay can defeat Arizona, one of the top dogs in, in the conference. Um, they did that before, obviously, Rodgers was out of action. Uh, if Rodgers played that game on Sunday against KC, they they run away with that game. I think that they're in a better spot offensively and defensively. And then with, if you're Beckham Jr., one, Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game. Two, he's going to get a lot of lot more maybe one-on-one matchups in Green Bay uh, just because teams are obviously accounting for Adams. Uh, there's more maybe targets to go around there, obviously, with, with Tanyan out of action now for the rest of the year on IR. Uh, I know they they obviously have some other weapons in the run game too, but I, I like that fit for him even more than Kansas City, where I still think there's something going on or something wrong with Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I think he doesn't have enough weapons. I think McCole Harmon stinks. <laughs> That's number one. I And I've had McCole Harmon on my fantasy team for years, and I've been waiting for that breakout. And I just think, you know, We've, we're finally seeing what happened when they lost Sammy Watkins, who I think was a lot more important to this thing than anybody realized. And I think, you know, so another area of this, and I was laughing a minute ago because I was I was looking in the chat and Thomas said, where can we donate money to the show? I said, we, I was thinking about, it. we got to create like a Venmo or something like, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're actually looking at some new audio equipment. So, you know, maybe, maybe we got to start like a GoFundMe or something. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but no, you can pay us with your likes and your subscriptions and your company on all of these Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday shows. Uh, we got a couple, uh, hopefully some some big guests over the next couple of weeks we're, uh, we're, we're hoping for, we're reaching for. We'll see if they materialize, um, but stay with us. Um, the Odell Beckham saga here is, is interesting. I saw one tweet today that I wanted to – you know, kind of dive into a little bit because over the years, I, I really, I do respect Chris Sims. I, I, I like his work. I, I've listened to his podcast for a couple of years uh, now, and he's always got some like, with that said, he's always got some like off the wall, like takes. I think sometimes he tries to be, you know, different and in, in kind of like, like shift gears a little bit. He said, if I'm the bills, I would sign Odell Beckham Jr. Right now, all season, they needed a legit number two weapon. No one on their team other than Stefan Diggs can win one-on-ones, which, so this is interesting because I got a couple thoughts on this. Number one, I think if you've watched the last couple games, I think you'd probably leave unimpressed with Emmanuel Sanders and Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley, not so much. He, I think it was it the Miami game where he went off a little bit. Yeah, he had a good game. game. He had a good game against Tennessee and Miami. Okay. So I think that they're both older receivers, 34 and 32 respectively, I believe. And, you know, I I don't think that Cole Beasley, as good as he's been at times this year, has been the separator, the quickness, uh, you know, hasn't been as evident as it has been in years past. And for Sanders, you know, He's been super effective, and I still think he's so smart, and he's such a good route runner. Um, 
he's going to win a lot of the times just based on that. But I do think that Odell Beckham, if you can get him, of course, it makes total sense. But to me, that's not the problem of this offense. They don't need another weapon. First of all, they do. They do. They need Dawson Knox back. That's number one. He looks like he's trending in that direction. That changes things a lot. That wasn't mentioned in the Chris Sims tweet. And so I think that that's part of the context that you need if you're evaluating this. Chris Chris Sims, if he throws in there, you know, oh, well, they don't have Dawson Knox. That'll be helpful when he gets back to it, open things up for other people. Stefan Diggs actually alluded to today. But also this offensive line has been garbage. We've talked about it this whole show. I mean, the last couple of games, it's been really, really bad. And that's got to be also kind of, you know, woven into the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, you can have as many weapons as you want in the passing game. If you can't get blocking in front of you for a few seconds, Josh Allen's not going to be able to do much with that ball uh, against teams that have strong defensive lines. So, you know, you know, Beckham in theory, adding another weapon, adding a, another talented player to an, an offense that already has some really good pass catchers. That's great. But then at the same time, you know, what do you do with the, with the rest of that roster? Obviously, Kumaro would probably be the odd man out. Um, but he brings something from the special teams perspective. Gabe Davis has already been kind of the, the odd man out of the shuffle, and he's probably your best blocking wide receiver, so you might want to get him more involved. And you're shuffling a lot of things around. We haven't seen a lot of from Isaiah McKenzie in the receiving game this year where he showed some promise late last year against Miami in terms of what he could do. So there's already a lot of guys that are just kind of waiting in the wings for that opportunity in terms of pass catchers. Uh, I don't know if that's the the number one area the Bills need to be addressing right now. Anything else, Sarah? Yeah. um, One more question that I had for you guys. Do you think, uh, obviously, with the Bills uh, losing their last game and then being only half a game, I believe, up against the Pats, do the Pats have any um, opportunity or chance to win the AFC East? Great question. I, I think you'd have to see a total collapse by Buffalo. And, and listen, Buff, the Buffalo's schedule is very favorable. Mind you, some of these teams that are coming up on the horizon, uh, the Colts, I think, are playing a better brand of football. I, I still think the Saints are going to put together a competitive game plan. But I, I do like Buffalo's schedule. Uh, I like the fact that they're going to be uh, – they have some home games late in, that, in the season as well. I, I just think that the, the Patriots and the, and the way that they're playing right now – uh, the defense is going to keep them in a lot of games, but they're going to have to grind out a lot of wins, and there's going to be a few close calls that probably don't go their way, uh, which is to be expected when you have a rookie quarterback and, and you have an offense that isn't necessarily at the same level as the defense. Matt? Yeah, it's interesting. So they play the Browns, the Falcons, the Titans, the Bills, the Colts, the Bills, the Jags, and the Dolphins. So, I mean, there's there's three really winnable games sprinkled in there. Um, and then you, you're talking about the Browns, Titans, Colts, and two against the Bills. That's five games right there that conceivably they can lose. And if, if that happens, and especially if the Bills sweep them, the Bills sweep them, I think it's over probably. Um, you know, there's a good chance that you can get to that December 26th game with three to go, and it could be over if they lose to the Browns, if they lose to the Titans, if they lose the first one to the Bills, potentially lose to the Colts. I mean, there's a lot of ways. The Bills' schedule is in my opinion, a little bit more, um, uh, I don't want to say easy, but you know, there's a, there's a, there's a couple tough games on there. They don't have to play the Browns. They've already played the Titans. The Colts game is going to be tough. Um, and they don't have to play themselves, which I think is helpful, which I think would be actually fun and interesting to watch. Um, which we do get to see in, in scrimmages, uh, in, in the preseason, but no, 
I don't think I think I saw Ryan Clark from ESPN say that the, he his bold prediction after last week was that the Super Bowl is going to go through Foxborough. And it's like, wait, wait, what? Are they going to win their? They're going to win out? Like they're going to beat the Bills twice? They're going to beat the Browns? Like I mean, they, I think with four losses right now, they'd probably have to win out for that scenario to play out. And that is a lot of belief in Mac Jones, who, by the way, Mac, what are you doing, man? Like what? What some, like I get it. Like when you're in between the lines, some weird stuff happens. But you know, if you haven't seen the video, he Brian Burns sacked him. There was a fumble, and his Burns was trying to get up to run uh and, and probably block. Mac Jones grabbed his foot and looked like he twisted it. And Brian Burns actually said it felt like he twisted his foot. I mean, you can you can tweak an ankle, you can you can you could suffer some structural damage. I mean, there was some, you know, Hassan Reddick who plays for them said like he called it a dirty play. Mac Jones said that. Kind of, I think Mac Jones is sneaky, kind of like annoying. Do you, do you have that? Do you have that take on him at all? Uh, I haven't seen enough from him. But did you see Brian Burns today at all? Yes. Happy Tell hunting what to he the. Said. De- yeah, I pretty much told uh, all the other defensive ends, you know, happy hunting the rest of this year when it comes to Mac Jones. He he would like an apology. He's not expecting one. However, he he didn't think it was a very clean play. And listen, watching it, uh, I it, it looked more like a, a WWE type ankle lock move than anything else. It, it, it would look dirty it, at the end of the day. That's what it looked like. That's what it appeared. You know, Mac Jones can say that that wasn't his intention and maybe it truly wasn't, but it certainly did not look good. Yeah. Um, I, the, the thing about Mac for me is like, when you are asked that question, you obviously did something wrong and you're asked the question and you kind of just try to like, I've already handled it. Like, first of all, you're a rookie, number one. Number two, it's a horrible look. I just think how you answer that question tells you a little bit something about that person. Uh, and maybe he doesn't want to handle it publicly, and I get that too. But a simple apology and, and it happened in between the lines. You know, sometimes I think just just owning something, like, means something, you know, because you don't, you don't know these people really, right? They're, they're You know, as fans, as media, you know, I was talking about this with somebody the other day, like you never really know someone, but you know that you have a brand. And I just think that Mac Jones has done some annoying things that I've, that I've, that I've noticed going back to his college days. Um, but that's it. Um, nothing against the guy. I'll be, I'll be interested to see how he does against this bill's defense in December. Um, all right, we're going to get out of here, but before we do, of course, um, if you're hosting a large party this weekend, check out tops huge selection Party platters for a delicious, effortless, and affordable, no-stress way to impress. For complete details, stop by their carryout cafe or visit topsmarkets.com slash fantasyfoodball. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, don't forget, hit that like button. Also hit that subscribe button. And when you get to Tops this weekend, they always put it at the start of the aisle. You walk down the produce. The apples are all laid out. Red Delicious hits you right in the face. Turn off that honeydew. Nobody wants it. Nobody wants honeydew at all. Okay. Like honeydew is actually the worst um, apple that you can get. It's not even honeydew. It's honey crisp. I don't even know the name of it because it's not even worth it. And if you're watching on audio and you don't hear Ryan talking, it's because he's been removed from the <laughs> screen here and he's, he's going nuts down there and he, and he can't say anything. And this has been the best part of the show, to be honest with you. Uh, so far, I'll bring him back in here for a moment and see what he's got to say. Does Sarah have a favorite kind of apple? There you go. 
Matt, you're going to hate me for this, but I totally agree with Ryan. I love the Honeycrisp. How do you like uh, those apples, Matt? <laughs> okay. so, now Sarah's been kicked out of the stream. Um, listen, are you eating the apple on air here? Okay. What is happening in the world today? Honeycrisp uh, is obviously a popular choice. Here's what I'll do. Before the next show, I will buy a Honeycrisp apple from Topps Friendly Markets. I will give it the good old taste test. And we'll come back here on Friday and tell you why Red Delicious is the best. For Sarah Holland, Ryan Talbot, and I am Matt Perino. We will see you on Friday. Take care, everybody.